The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. This is Full Change with Tom Laidlaw. Thomas, we are upping the cool factor on the show today. Where I'm on twice? No, no, no. We have a guy who's definitely <laughs> better looking, better looking than you in your career for sure. More stylish, and we have the inventor of the cool Kelly Rudy headband. There you go. Look at the hair you still got in your head too. I know people can't see that, but he's got a full head of hair. Mine's like shiny. Mine's like so sh- nothing up there. How you doing there, brother? I'm doing great. How about you guys? Good, good. So. Uh, so I love telling a story to everybody. At the end of my career, I can make up all excuses I want. Bottom line is, I couldn't. I lost a step that I could not lose, couldn't afford to lose. And Kelly was our goaltender. Te- Kelly was one of the best teammates I ever had, even for a goaltender. <laughs> if, we're we're playing a game in Toronto, and I'd say everybody escaped by me, right? They get breakaways to skate. I'll go back to Kelly. I'm feeling this terrible, you know, because Kelly's not mean. He's not yelling at me. He's not mad, and he just says very nicely to the top, "If you can't stop them, can you please just get out of the way?" And <laughs> And you, I know your intention is fantastic. That was probably, and again, it wasn't because of you. That was probably one of the lowest parts of my career because I'm thinking, here's this fantastic teammate, and he's just begging me to get out of the way. <laughs> well, I, I I probably felt badly for you. Was that the year you had appendicitis and you? Uh, oh yeah, because yeah, that's right too. I forgot about all that. Yeah, yeah, you had a about appendicitis. You had the surgery and you missed, geez, yeah. like six weeks or yeah, that's right too. Yeah, I forgot about the back injury and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. It was the most frustrating thing in the world because I, I felt good about my game in the early part of my career, and all of a sudden now I can't stop anything. Here's this fantastic goaltender telling me, oh, just get out of the way. Hey, 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 listen, bud. I went through that at the end as well. When I knew my skills were declining, we're all in the same boat. Oh, I know. Isn't that frustrating? And when it's happening, you just don't know what to do either. You look back at it now. Right. And, yeah. Uh, I don't know about you, Tom, but you know when I really noticed it? Uh, besides the games when I, I knew I was really struggling, but – in practices, when I, you know, the shots were really hard in practice and I was trying to keep up with the younger guys and I had to actually mentally prepare for a practice and before you didn't really have to, right? Like you're just, you knew you're good. Yeah. Well, you just sort of practice and put in the work, but you didn't have to prepare mentally like I know. near the end. Do you think you'd do anything different like physically training or anything like that? Or do you think you would have gone uh, 
I would definitely do something different, Tom. And uh, I've come to this realization recently. Um, and I would have been kinder to myself. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't push myself uh, as much where I think it got on the wrong side of beneficial. Um, and I'll give you a story. So, and, you know, for, for one thing that, you know, I, you know, it, being hard on yourself is a good thing and to drive and all that. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why you and I ended up playing and having long careers. But uh, on the other side of it, I think there's a, uh, a vehicle that I would have chosen or a way I would have approached it a little bit differently. So when I was still with the Islanders, we lost at home and we're getting on the bus because we're going after that old game to New Jersey, I think. So we have another uh, game the next night and I'm furious with myself because I didn't play very well. And I get on the bus and uh, Steve Conroy, one of our unbelievably good defensemen, he gets on the bus a couple rows in front of me opens his overnight bag and pulls out a book and starts reading immediately. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, Tom, I'm going, you jerk. Why did you care as much as I care? Right. But the, the good side of my brain, I remember, I was like, Kelly, I wish that was you. I, I wish I would have been able to just open a book, start reading, forget about the yeah. game I just played, and be carefree. And Steve was right, and I was wrong. And I wish I would have been way kinder to myself about yeah. those sort of situations. Yeah, he gave himself time to mentally decompress. Right. Yeah, that is true. And you learn now when we're older how to handle those things. Like you wish you had like this guy that you are now back in your 20s and understand right. things better. Yeah, uh, totally. Totally, yes. I, I think some of the things I let bother me, uh, I remember, again, another one of these stories that Tom's going to make fun of. It. I, was on, I was on the All-Star Ballot one year. It was like 1987. Well, there was a misprint, obviously. We spoke to the league. So I mean, was there, where to say, I, it, it, where to say, because I'm thinking, I had confidence in myself as a player, but I'm thinking, I can't play in the All-Star game. I'm Tom Lathenau, Wayne Gretzky and all these guys. What am I going to do with the All-Star game? Like, I was afraid to play well. well we all feel that way, Tom. Yeah, There's yeah, no true. question about it. What do they call it? Imposter syndrome? When, yep. You know, they're... I think, especially when you're rising up and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I can't play with these guys, and you question yourself, yeah. and then you make it for a while, then it returns, and you yeah. wonder, how much longer can I do this? And you're always questioning yourself, right? And it drives it crazy. Yeah. I, yeah, it's funny, even like Wayne Gretzky got traded to L.A. Like, they immediately, yeah. how can we play Wayne Gretzky? You know, he's, he's a man. <laughs> That's the thing, right? Look back now, like for me, a lot of the Rangers stuff, we go in the 90-14 that won the Cup, when they're at some of these charity events, Mark Messier, uh, Adam Graves, they're really revered by the fans, and they should be. They won the Cup in '94, but for years there, I was kind of like, oh, I can't, I can't stand around these guys. You know, they're, they're that I realized they're human beings, just like everybody else, right? right? Like you, you love yourself. I love myself. I'm sure yeah. they love themselves, but yeah, I'm no better than them. I'm no worse than them. Yeah. Dude, oh yeah, oh yeah. I remember the first time I met Wayne Gretzky, and I had been a player in the league for four or five years. And uh, I had admired him from afar, right? When playing against him, or you know, I, I remember the first time I played against the Oilers and it was in warm up. And I never usually watched the other team in warm up, but I just couldn't take my eyes off. Sure. You know, I was like, I can't believe I'm on the same ice as him. So, anyways, it was in the summer of '87, and I had been invited to the '87 Canada Cup team. And I'm home in uh, July, visiting with my mom and dad in Edmonton. And the phone rings, and my mom says, uh, Kelly, the phone's for you. And it's Gretzky on the other end of the line. He goes, oh. hey, I'm in town. I'm in Edmonton, uh, and I need somebody to go skate with. You want to? And he said, like, in a couple of days, why don't you meet me at this rink, and we'll get ready for a training camp. 
So I go there and I'm thinking, well, there'll be a bunch of us, right? right. And it's just Wayne and I, and and they Janet, uh, Wayne and Janet were dating at the time, so Janet came out and stayed. But the three of us on a sheet of ice in Edmonton, I'm thinking, this just doesn't happen. I know, yeah. I know. Edmonton and Elmwood community, you're not supposed to be on the ice just alone with Wayne Gretzky if he's shooting on you, getting ready for the Canada Cup. It was just weird. Isn't it weird? Yeah. And then we grow up now and think, like, Green's a great, Wayne's a great guy, but he's just a guy. He's a dude. Right. We're all dudes. Oh, I know. That's Did Janet I'm shoot on you at all during that, Kelly? What's that? Did Janet shoot on you? Uh, she probably did, sure. Yeah. Scored, scored on you? Yeah, let, let, let her score. Who did? So, I mean, I always said, I made a lot of guys rich in my name. Nah, you had a fantastic career. So, again, you grew up in Edmonton, right? That was your hometown? I did. Yeah. Good. It was a great, great childhood. Uh, my mom and dad, we didn't have a lot of money. Uh, incredible parents. So, when I had a brother, my my dad basically fixed pot machines for Pepsi as a living. My mom sold the children's shoes at a store called Jack and Jill in Edmonton, and they gave me the greatest gift. Pat Conacher gave me this line. Uh, we're playing in L.A. Uh, uh, after you left, Tom, and we're sharing our childhood stories. Pat grew up in Calgary, and I told him the story about we'd go to the mountains, of the Rocky Mountains, like Jasper, Banff, for our summer vacations. That's all beautiful. Beautiful. We'd be, oh, my gosh, right? Yeah. So we had a little camper, <clears throat> and that's a gift that I've now passed on to my kids, and, and my brother's done the same with his family. But Pat was the first one to say, "Oh, your parents gave you the greatest gift. That you know, you can't, you can't do it any better than that. Just a trip to the Rocky Mountain, and and that will be Tom and Tom when my final days come around, and and my final trip will be to the Rockies. I'm, I'm literally right now in Calgary, one hour from the title, so it's so close. We go there often, but what a child that is amazing. Yeah, it's amazing you say that about the camping, right? So I got divorced when my boys were small; uh, they were like four or six years old the first time. The first time, yes, so, so I like I grew up in that farm country where nobody ever got divorced. Something I've screwed up my kids' lives. So the good thing that came from that though was that I wanted to make sure I spent real quality time with them. So we bought a motorhome and we went camping. Some of the best memories. Oh, right, fantastic. Yeah, I, I hate to say the divorce was good, but I may not I may not have done that before when I was yeah. still married. Well, and that goes to what Kelly said. You guys, they'll appreciate that as they're adults yeah. now. So when yeah. you're that in it, you don't appreciate, especially being a 22-year-old hockey player, you don't appreciate what you have. Yeah, totally. No, you don't. Very true. I agree with that. So were you a goalie right away when you started? Uh, well, I hesitate because, yes, the answer is yes, Tom, but I didn't start playing organized hockey until I was 12 years old. Well, I had a really late start. As I don't know, what when did you start playing? I was six years old. Couldn't stand up in skates, but I was six when I started. Right. Yeah. Right. I was 11, and uh, I went to my mom and dad, and I said, uh, I'd like to join organized hockey. And my mom and dad both said, uh, no, I don't think that's a good idea. You should learn how to skate for a year. So I did. Every day after uh, uh, school, come home, do a little bit of homework, and go to the rake and on an outdoor rake and learn how to skate on my own. And then the following year, uh, it was like a month before the start of, uh, those little training camps he had. And, uh, I was playing ball hockey in my friend's driveway, Jeff Marshall. And his dad was kind of walking by or heard a conversation Jeff and I were having about what position I might want to play. And, uh, I was, I had no idea. Right. And Mr. Marshall said something like, Hey Kelly, I don't want to influence you too much, but whenever I watch you guys play ball hockey in the community, you stopped the ball more than anybody else. And that was my, that was the start of it, Tom. It was as innocent as that. And then I started playing. Uh, and of course, I you know, I never made any rep teams for the longest time because I 
I was so far behind everybody, but I didn't care. I was just playing and having fun with my friends. Right. Amazing. I'm going to give you a compliment right now. I'm listening to you speak here. Like, you're a very intelligent man. (laughs) I mean, very seriously, I'm listening to you. I know you're in the business on TV and everything. I'm thinking, wow, like the way you speak and everything, I'm very impressed. That's a good job. Just wait. We have 45 minutes. (laughs) Uh, That's good. That's good. All right. So then you get drafted into major junior. Or was there a draft then? There was not. Uh, they sent letters um, in the Western League, anyways, and and so the summer of '78, um, we after you know, I really improved in that uh, year of '77, '78. So I that was the first year ever, my last year uh, in uh, what do you call it now? Under 17, U17. I made a rep team for the first time ever, and well, but it was I got cut in training camp, but then another. Rep team called me, and some for some reason they only had one other goalie, so I made it. And we ended up winning the city championships, and then we won the provincial championships. We beat uh, Mike Vernon's team in Calgary. Oh, really? Wow. And yeah, and that then that summer, I really didn't know anything about major junior, uh, and so I got two letters: one from New Westminster, and they were a powerhouse. And then I got another letter from Medicine Hat. Now Medicine Hat is about a six-hour drive. New West would have been about a 20-hour drive, and not that I expected to make either of those teams, but I went to Medicine training camp, and this is exactly how I felt, you guys. So I had never made a team in training camp, right, ever. I always got cut once, twice. I remember one year I got cut three times. I go to Medicine Hat, and the second day, you'll remember this name, Tom, Vic Stasiak was my coach. Sure. And from the legendary Duke line in the NHL from your yeah. past. And Vic calls me into the office on the second day, and I'm expecting, okay, well, Kelly, you'll go home. And he goes, you made the medicine at Tigers. Wow. And this was within the first two minutes of the conversation. I, I kind of, I was always quiet, but I got even quieter. And then he goes, is something wrong? And I go, yeah, I, I have to go home. I didn't think I was going to make it. I only caught one pair of jeans and t-shirts for my birthday. <laughs> As well. So we had a little chuckle over that. And then uh, Vic told me stories. He regaled me for about two more hours, stories of two goalies that he played with, Glenn Hall and Terry Sacha. Wow. So wow. amazing. And then that later that week, I went home, and then the general manager, Doug Steaton, came to Edmonton and chatted with my parents about to why I should go to Medicine Ad. And, and it was great, but I was lonely. And I know you played junior, and then you went and played, uh, where'd you play? Northern Michigan. Northern Michigan. There you go. Good memory. Yes. Harvard of the Midwest. Yeah. And so I'm sure, were you as homesick as I was my first year? Well, you know what? I was lucky because uh, uh, our junior coach, it was the first year we had a hockey team, and he was smart. He went and brought four players off my junior team, plus myself, and two other guys. So I knew guys already. So, right. you know, again, I was 18 because I'd been drafted by the Peterborough Peets, went there for training camp. But I was the same way. when I, Roger Nielsen was coaching Peterborough at that time. Oh, wow. Yeah. And when I went there, I was probably close to being good enough as a player. But yeah. socially, I just was... Yeah, I hadn't been off the farm. I just did a right. yeah, new school and all. Yeah. See, that's something a fan wouldn't think that, you know, we think you guys have this incredible life where everything is, you know, roses and rainbows. And it's like, you know, you're homesick. You, yeah. you miss your family. Yeah. You miss, you're out of, you're taken out of your home. So it's got to be hard to deal with. Well, yeah. Well, my mom tells me this story that, uh, or she reminded me during the pandemic where I went, picked her up in Edmonton. She came to visit Calgary. She's talking about how I almost quit that first year. So I was a 17 year old in medicine at. And we had a bad team uh, to make things even worse, where I think we only finished with 37 points. But there's a reason for that. They're building, as you know, you guys, in junior or the next year, the year after, 
we're a team full of 17 year olds. And so in that league, we're getting beat up pretty badly. But so I was extremely disappointed one night after a game, I came home and called my mom and dad and said, I've had enough and I'm coming home and I miss everybody. The season's not going very well. And my mom kind of, she, she, as she's telling me the story again, she's kind of smiling. She goes, okay, Kelly, well, why don't we talk in the morning? If you still feel the same way, then we'll come get you. And I never called the next morning. <laughs> Good call, mom. Uh, right? Uh, you know, uh, they're so wise. And and so I, I decided to stick it out for good reason. And, got you know. Let me ask a two-part two question here. So you're getting cut all the time. First of all, how'd that feel? And then when you finally made the team, how'd that feel? Yeah, so getting cut was normal for me because it happened all the time. And, right. and you know, I, I knew I wasn't as good as the other guys. They had you know, a six, seven-year head start on me. And uh, they're just better. Uh, I just love playing whatever level I uh, played at. Um, until I was 16 going on 17, that year when I got cut was the year when I was extremely discouraged. I came home, my brother was there, and I said, Ken, I'm going to quit hockey. And uh, he goes, I understand. I totally get it. He goes, but just do me a favor. Another rep team just called like 10 minutes ago. And I'd like you to go to their practice tomorrow. That's when I went. They only had butter the goal. And so that felt extremely gratifying to make it. But it, when I went to Medicine Hat and I made it, that was odd because I'd never gone somewhere and not beat that disappointment. And I don't know if I really believed it for a while. Yeah. I made it. That doesn't make any sense. To me. That must have been something that the coach is looking at you because he doesn't know all your background at that point, right? Yeah, now, right. Yeah, he, oh, he just knew that the year before I'd won the city championships and the provincials. So he's most likely thinking, oh, Kelly's been on this fast track. And that would would have been the furthest from the truth. Definitely. Kelly, how'd you get how you get so good so fast though with, with you know that you had such a late start? Yeah, I don't know why that when I was sixteen, why I started to take off a little bit. Uh, to this day, I'm clueless about that. I know why I started to get a lot better at junior because we were a poor team and I would honestly get 40 to 60 to 70 shots some games. And it was either I'm going to get better or I'm going to be out of this league by the end of the season. Uh, this is no exaggeration, guys. Somewhere in the record books, you can find it. Well, first of all, two stories that really stand out. We played against the Memorial Cup champions, Brandon Wheat Kings, the first weekend I think we lost, I think we played two or three games. I can't remember. Something like we lost 12-1 and 14-2 or something. Uh, and so my mom and dad are looking at the newspaper in the box store and watching this. And they're, oh my gosh, are you okay? I remember Monday morning, we're back in Medicine Hat. They called me, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, no problem. You know, I had like 60 shots each game or more. So then later in the year, we'd go to Portland and they were at our house. And I had, we lost 16 to two or three. I had a hundred and some shots and I was given a star. One of the three. I was just going to ask that. Yeah. And the fans, I remember I'm thinking of, man, I just gave up 16. I didn't get pulled and I'm going out for a star. And they're this, the people in the audience are giving me, <laughs> they're clapping. They're like, this is amazing. This kid, he stayed in there for the full game. And that's a classic. That's a great story. That's excellent. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. Now, that your first year junior, was that your NHL draft year? No, next year. Actually, okay. But if you look at my stats, you guys, I, uh, I, at our year-end awards banquet, I won MPP and Rookie of the Year 
but my goals against average was 6.17. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Did you did you uh, understand what was going on at that point? That like, man, I'm, I'm doing well, but I can leave my goals against that. I had no idea. Yeah, you're just playing hockey, right? Yeah, just playing hockey at 17, turned 18, thinking this is, you know, this is a fun life. I like it. I'm, right. oh, I'm getting to play a ton. Sure. Back then, I think we only played 72 games, and I played 57 of them as a 17-year-old. So that's a lot of hockey for a kid. Now, at that point, are there any dreams or aspirations of playing in the National Hockey League? No, I wanted to be a park worker. Really? Going back to my days going to Bath and Jasper, right? Oh. Now, that was my lifelong goal, and then the stupid game got the way. <laughs> I still go back. You still go back to be a game warden. <laughs> I'd love to do that. They invited me. Park Stan invited me to take a horse uh, trip. Uh, in the backcountry. Someday I got to take them up. Let's do it. Yeah. Take Tom with you. I was drafted in the second round. Tom, I think you were like, wait, fifth or sixth? Sixth round. Very good. Good job. Sixth round, yeah. And uh, so that year, 1980, when I got drafted, I went to training camp, which you'll remember, guys, not all draftees went to training camp. Right back. Right. They would only invite certain ones, and for some reason they decided that I would go that year. And uh, our first preseason game was in Chicago, in the legendary Chicago Stadium. Sure. I had no idea what it was going to be like. I'd heard stories, and so to play in that building. And I played the first two periods. I was losing 5-1 after two. I faced 36 shots. Tom Lysiak scored on me in the second period. I remember he ripped it low glove side. He didn't even celebrate. And I'm thinking, two things entered my mind. I'm closer than I ever thought to playing in the National Hockey League, but I'm really a long ways from making it because Tom Lijak scored on me so easily he wasn't even thrilled. <laughs> so that was my takeaway. My last takeaway from that preseason game at the uh, at the end, uh, I remember all the guys in the veteran or the veterans in the dressing room they're like, Kelly, come on, get undressed, let's go. We're gonna take you out for pizza and beer. And they did a downtown deep dish Chicago cool. pizza joint and they didn't let me buy a thing and it was so cool. And who all that? That's Trache and all those guys. All those guys. That's cool. He's uh, bossy. I remember even back then, uh, a lot of the veterans had to play in the preseason. I think you had to have fourteen veterans in. Yeah. Yep. yep. It wasn't like today, where I think you know, I don't know the exact number, but maybe even only as few as eight or something. And so I'm flying to Chicago with the team, and this is uh, obviously uh, on purpose. I'm in the middle seat between Mike Bossy and Brian Trotchy. Oh, oh, there you go. Wow. And so all those guys took me out. I remember Bourne and Nystrom, and uh, it was just so cool to be around those guys, and they were so gracious and kind to me. Uh, that always impressed me about that team, that that's the way I could just see them operating that way, right? Yeah. That you're a new player on this team, they're going to take care of you, and that's just showing the Wolves. Yeah. Well, I remember many times that first year. I remember one time in Winnipeg, I was exhausted. I don't know where we were coming from, maybe uh, Minneapolis, and uh, we get to the hotel mid-afternoon, and uh, I'm a rookie, so I'm waiting for all those guys to check in first, and I'm going to get my key last. And so I finally get my key, and uh, I think it was Bob Nystrom said, hey, Rook, put your bags in your room and meet us down here in five minutes. We're going out. And so that's how they took care of me, right? Right. That is cool. That's cool. Kelly, when you got to that squad, you have Billy Smith and Rolly Melanson in front of you, though. Do you think, have, like, you think I have no chance of making this team, or what's going through your mind? Okay, Tom, I'll tell you even further to that. So that first year I went to training camp. So they had won their first Stanley Cup. That training camp, there was Billy Smith, there was Chico Resch, That's it, or there's, match. there's Richard Brodeur, huh? there's Roly Melanson, and Jim Park. 
Uh, he, Jim Park was a longtime WHA goalie. So I've got five guys in front of me. I'm thinking there's no chance I'm never going to make the, the New York Islanders. I thought maybe I'd have to get traded or something to have a chance. But somehow, after, what, three years, I ended up making the team. So there's a lesson out there for kids. You know, yeah. Just patience and put in the work. I put in two full years in the minors. We won the championship both years. So that certainly helped me. But uh, it was a long grind. Yeah. You know, you're being humble. You talk about your whole life story so far. You kind of overlook the hard work part, did you? That's what I remember about you. It's like you worked hard, make the game. Oh yeah, there's I yeah I was uh, I was very determined, like a lot yeah. of young yeah. yeah, definitely. Rolly Melanson, I remember he came and played with the Kings there for one year, yeah. I think too. Yeah, great game, yeah, really. I sorry, he's coaching now too. Is he he's a goalie coach? Yeah, he has uh, been for a long time. Right, great guy, great teammate. We were playing one of those games where we just were awful, right? So we're all coming in after the second period, or first period, and we're all yapping at each other, you know, got yeah. and, and Rolly, he says. Uh, Said something we should do, and and I was mad. I should not have said it. I said, "Roly, just get in there, and stop the effing puck," you know. <laughs> and Robbie Fatorik's leadership. Oh, I know. I was I was mad. And and again, Roly was a great guy. It, it wasn't fair that I said that to him. And uh, so R Robbie Fatorik was coaching us. Came in. He said, "Okay, that's enough." And I had to get one more little shot in. I just stopped the effing puck. You know, I had to get like a little kid. I had to get one more shot. Yeah. yeah so we well at that. No, I know. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. <laughs> Hi, checking in for. Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring... The best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Kelly. Oh, I know. Kelly, how was, how was Billy Smith towards you as, as a young boy? Amazing. Now, the, the lessons he taught me were very important for uh, my career down the road. And, and I did understand it at the time. So when I started uh, to play more often than I think Billy uh, wanted to accept, uh, he would go charging into the coach's room, whether it was uh, Al Arbor or when Terry Simpson replaced Al Arbor, and he would fight for his position. And at first, I let Billy go in on his own. And I, you know, once I finally figured out what was happening and I had to fight for myself, I'd go charging in right behind Billy. Oh, really? Yeah, I deserve to be playing tomorrow. And, and here, you know, he'd give his little spiel. And I go, that's, you know, it's, uh, that's all right. So you're, hold on, you're both, you're both in the room at the same time. The coach. Oh, yeah. And, oh, wow. But it was a, like, we had a great relationship. We went out for dinner almost every night on the road. We'd play tennis together back home. And, but we were fighting for our own uh, thoughts, right? And so Billy taught me that. That was one of the most valuable lessons because, Especially, Tom, when I joined you guys in L.A. and we had a lot of goalies coming through, 
I had to fight for myself and I have to make sure that the coach knew that I wanted to play. Yeah. I wanted the net and, uh, and you know, that's how it is. And, and then that way, the other guy coming in doesn't get any free starts because right. I, I'm big on that, yeah. you know, at, in the national hockey league, whether you're a stater or a defenseman like yourself, Tom, you can't, there, this is not a league full of donations where yeah. you donate ice time. You've got to earn it. And so that's what I, that's what Billy taught me. And I was forever indebted. And then, uh, Byron Defoe told me the same thing after he retired, because we were together near the end from of my time in LA. He goes, Kelly, you taught me that so much that I learned how to fight for my own ice time. And when, in, when he was in Boston in particular, he was like, these young guys would come up. I'd go in the coach's room and say, that's, that's not right. I deserve to play. And here's the reason. That's pretty cool. You think if you're a coach, right? The guy's not whining to go playing in front of anybody else. He's coming in man-to-man in, in the room all yeah. alone, and he's fighting for his spot. He's not backstabbing anybody else. He's just, I think that's pretty cool that both of you guys are in at the same time, really. I've never heard of that before. As I yeah, know. and so, again, those lessons that Billy taught me. So later on when Barry Melrose was coaching us, I turned out to, it turned out to, in our second, first, second year that we developed this amazing uh, bond, kind of like a friendship, but you know, as certainly he was the coach and I was a player. But uh, once I really became comfortable with him, uh, I, I knew things were going south in a particular game, right? And, you know, I give up three, four, and sometimes five in the first period. And I knew Barry wanted to pull me. So I come in after the uh, whistle blows, uh, charge into his office, and I go, don't you dare think of pulling me. Oh, really? Oh. And, but, you know, that puts the onus on me, right? Yeah. And so Barry would go, okay, well, then get out there and you better play, right? Right. And so I remember the first time I did that and Byron Defoe was on the team. I gave up five to Winnipeg, and I didn't give up another goal in the game. And Byron, after the game, said, I've never seen anything like that. Like, he charged in there. You know, told him no chance to pull me. Oh. And and you lived up to it. And uh that's cool. Stand up for yourself. Right? That's very cool. So now I know I know you're a competitor. I'm not saying you would ever quit, but was there ever a game where you gave up seven or eight goals and you wanted to get pulled? It just wasn't there for you. It was that game when you were playing with the Tom when you wouldn't stop now. Yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> it's true. I honestly God, I I swear to God, I think about that sometimes. You I know I'm repeating myself here, but you were so nice and I felt so bad for you. Tom, can you please just get out of the way? <laughs> well, like I said, I, I remember you had appendicitis that year. No. There was a reason why you uh in that game, I'm sure that you were Lagging behind, and I, you know, I, I find that more compelling to to this day because my wife had appendicitis. We were at a place called Predator Ridge in the summer, two summers ago, and she was laid up for eight or ten weeks, and so couldn't play golf. So now, even more so, looking back, I'm amazed that you were able to come back in time because that's a that's a serious uh, illness to have. You just like at the end of your career, you know, you mentioned it before when you, you can't yeah. do all the things that you were doing before. That was so frustrating. Oh, man. So frustrating. I remember for my first 12 years in the league, I was, I, it seemed like I was rarely ever in the medical room. Yep. yep. At the last three, it's like I couldn't get. Oh, I know. Isn't that awful? That that feeling, because you become that guy on the team. You and I have the same way with this. The players all looked at you and I, that he was always going to be there. He was always going right. to play. You know, we play through injuries and all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden now you're made of glass. You can't do anything. Right, Man. everything and everything's breaking down. For me, it was my ankles, my shoulders, my back. Right, uh, everything was just. I was just in pain, as you were, and all the guys. Uh, you know, to, even to this day, ever since uh, I would say from November first, everybody's banged up. Yeah, find a way to play. 
And with that team too, you had Larry Robinson and Dave Taylor and Luke Robitaille, Wayne Gretzky, like yep. that's a great guys too. Like that was a great team to play on. Like a fun bunch of guys. And we had some fun dinners the night before. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I love that part. I, I've still, I, you know, I still, I've tried to create that in my broadcasting career. So yeah. on, on uh, nights where we're on the road, we like to go for dinner and have a little bit of wine and just chat and tell yeah. stories. And I just find that so, uh, I know and it's so good to just share. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that is the part of the game that you miss as a player, right? And you've got the same thing going on now. Being with the guys, get that, you're the peers, you're fighting to win something together, and you're going out mm-hmm. and have And back in those days, and people don't necessarily, we had quite a few cocktails sometimes too, but it was like, you know, I, I like, could you, could you have played better if you didn't? And I think to myself, well, oh, it was so the odd, the odd time we had to play guilty. Yes. Yep. No question. Very, several odd times. Yes. But again, we had like, like Larry Robinson, I tell the story all the time. He was like a little kid. And I mean that in the nicest way. He'd love the game. He'd love living life. And he was yeah. one of the lead guys. Want to go for beers? There you go for beer. There's no problem at all. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And, yeah. But to that point, how some of the guys that are complete legends in the game, yeah. how they want to feel part of it. And you know this playing with Wayne. Like the more you teased Wayne, the more he liked you. Oh yeah, he wanted to be one of the guys. Right? Definitely, definitely. He didn't want to be on that pedestal. If if uh, if you really tore into him or ripped him or made fun of him, he had that laugh. Oh yeah, oh, so yeah. Fun. He first got there and I uh, sewed the bottom of his pants together when he was up the ice, oh. and he loved it. Came out the ice to me. He says that's excellent. I said, how'd you know? He says eleven years pro. Like he was giving it back to me. You know? yeah. Here's go. Oh, oh I, I still... remember you were the biggest prankster, and there was a. A segment in the intermission uh, of oh yeah, remember that Bob Morgan was yeah. our producer yeah, and uh, and I I think yeah you did it like a serial yeah uh, prankster and so they didn't show your face yeah but then you did the one with the shaving cream and oh, the towel yeah or the the baby powder in the in the blow dryer and all these different things man that was just oh, that was great television but it was also great because. Somehow, I don't know how you'd get us. It would be at the Culver City Ice Rink, and I'd come out of the shower knowing fully what you have done in the past and grab a towel and on occasion not look inside and then wipe shaving cream all over my head or whatever. I, you know, Nick Fatila taught me a lot of that stuff for the Rangers, but Nick was quiet about it. See, I'd like getting caught. Like, I was, I was, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know why I. Hey, Kel, you guys let him get away with it? Well, they got the back. Well, we're waiting for the next prank, right? Oh. Or what? What's Tom going to do next? And so we're always curious. It was amazing. Well, I don't think you you weren't there on the team when Bob Bourne was there, right? Uh, in no, LA. I wasn't. No, so, I Bob right. So Bob and I were roommates together in LA, I guess the year before you got there. And Bob was a good practical joker too. We okay. would like to have a few cocktails. So after a game one night, we were in Edmonton, yeah. staying at some hotel where all the rooms are around, like the, the lobby or whatever it is. So uh, we go get back to the room probably like two or three in the morning, and the guys had gone into our room, taken everything out of bed, furniture, they put it out in the lobby in perfect, oh, perfect shape, oh. just like it was in the room. And now we're, we're feeling pretty good. We don't want to put it back in. So we lay them back and go to sleep. Right. Security came along and put it back in. So they got they got us back a few times. Oh, funny stuff. Bobby Warmer's a good guy, too. Yeah. But what, that's the kind of stuff, right? Look at the way we're laughing about that kind of stuff. Oh, that was hilarious. Sleep, right? Just like we're kids. You learn after when you go in your room. To check the closet, make sure nobody's hiding yeah. there or under the bed or whatever they wait, do. Wait, Lavo jumped out from under a bed and it scared oh. people? Oh, we jumped in the shower, turned the shower on, and yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We, uh, I remember when I was still in the agent business, uh, Donald Fear negotiated a new CBA. Part of what he wanted to get was uh, players would all have their own room now. 
instead yeah. of having a roommate. The laid law clause. I, I said to him, I said, you kind of miss it, though. That's one of the best things about being an NHL player is having that roommate. Right? I was having fun together. Well, you know what? I did miss out on that experience. I only had one roommate, and that was Steve Casper. The oh. year I got traded to uh, L.A. because the Islanders believed that the goalie should have his own room. Oh. And uh, my agent was able to uh, talk to the Kings and the Sharks. And, and so I always had my own room, which I did enjoy, but I did miss on those nights where yeah, miss talking to somebody or laughing or sharing stories. I miss yeah. that. I know. It was funny. When I first got traded uh, to LA, we came back to New York, you know, you play the Rangers, Islanders, Devils. And, yeah. uh, then we were going to go out and play Pittsburgh. So, of course, I'm back in the city for the first time. So I'm out every night. And I've got this young roommate, uh, French kid. I can't remember his name. A really nice young guy. So I'm out every night and I'm playing my ass off, right? Because I'm knowing, okay, I'm sure. back. everybody knows I've never had beers. I've been working hard. So we go to Pittsburgh at night before the game. I go to bed like at nine o'clock at night because I'm just wasted. And uh, come out against Pittsburgh and I played just awful. So we get back to the room after the game. And my roommate goes, Tommy, you should go out every night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll try. <laughs> yeah, you took his advice. Yeah, exactly. the art. Yeah, Ke- Kelly, can you, so you leave the Islanders who are obviously coming off four cups and then you go, to like you become a rock star yeah. and you join the band. How, how was that transition? Weird. Um, that was that was a that was a, a an environment uh, that Tom knows really well. That was unique. I don't think there's yeah. any other team that had that yeah. same sort. Of, well, maybe the New York Rangers song where you came from because you guys were living the life and you know you got Broad Street uh, and all you know had all those nicknames sure. and right everything was good, but. For L.A., because of Gretzky and the trade, and it became like uh, a, celeb- a celebrity hotspot. Yeah. It was weird to see all everybody that was anybody in our dressing room, not only in our dressing room after the game, but even in our change room, where yeah. we're changing from our uh, the sweaty underwear that we wore under our gear into after our shower into our street clothes, and there's celebrities where we're getting change. It was right. just odd. And it's female celebrities too, like Goldie Hawn's in there. Yeah, yeah. Let's drop some more names. Well, everybody was there. Kevin Costner, John Candy, Michael J. Fox, uh, Sylvester. Robbie Fatorg was called Michael or uh, Sylvester Stallone, Rocky. He, like he got. <laughs> well, were you there? That it might have been that first year. The first playoff might have been the second year, where Sylvester Stallone gave us a pep. Talk yes, yes, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It just so Tom, to answer your question, yes, it was just crazy because i came from that hockey environment with the new york islanders where everything was uh serious yeah um, and not to suggest la we weren't serious because we were it was just it was a different environment that you had to get used to having all these people around after every game and yeah we had that photographer tom i can't remember his name but yeah. he'd take pictures of us after every game and you make the rounds and you know i still have all the pictures in my office oh do you well wow. i staked them all with all this celebrities and it's really cool to look through it every once in a while and go holy cow i forgot i yeah. had met that person or you know some of the people i met had some friendships with i'd go golfing with and those sorts of things so very cool yeah well, are you guys looking at each other in the locker room going holy cow like this is rocky after, getting us after a while though you kind of you right just normal people yeah at first just like oh Christ, what's going on here but yeah right. after a while, yeah. and it's like leave me alone john candy i gotta go get ready like well I, and, he, and he's a big man too I, i've lost him obviously but he was a big yeah. man so he'd be standing in the urinal. Now he's been drinking all day long too. So now you're just done to play and you can smell the booze coming off. Right? And you, it, it's funny, but you know, your red shoes on the other foot is different because you're, right. you're the one drinking, but we're now, so it was just, 
It, it, yeah, it was Kelly something up. It's just it's weird. Yeah, it was so Kurt and Goldie, yep. uh, Kurt Russell, Goldie Hawn were always there. Yeah, and so their son Wyatt, he was a goalie, and so oftentimes after a home game, uh, they Kurt would come in, and I'd go up to the whiteboard with them. And he'd go, okay, Kelly, there was that two-on-one or three-on-two in the second period. Explain to me what you were thinking and draw it out with the the black marker and show me, because I'd like to explain it to Wyatt, what you want to do and what you're seeing and what you're looking for. So it was like a little goalie clinic and it was super cool. And so one time, uh, Donna's in the wise room and and after I'd done a little clinic. Donna's your wife. Donna's your wife, correct? And I go, can you do me a favor? Like, we're big, big fans. Can you come up and say hi to my wife? And so Kurt and Goldie came up, and they were so gracious and kind. And That's good. it's a story my wife still loves to this day. Uh, I think he gave her a hug, and she was oh. so so kind. And, oh, I've got a Goldie story. So now yeah. oh, let's go to the throat. Yeah. So uh, we're at Culver City Ice Rink. And, Tom, you remember that? Justin was on the second floor. Yeah. You're looking down at the ice. And it's a Sunday morning, and uh, I'm there early. I'm drinking my big Witchell's coffee, and uh, I see in the corner there's Goldie Hawn all by herself. And uh, I'm thinking, oh, I've got to, I've got to take this opportunity. I've got to go say hi. Uh, I'm starstruck, of course. So I make my way down, and I kind of sheepishly walk up to her, thinking, you know, I got to explain who I am and say hi, and I hope she's nice. And so. And I say hi. I'm Kelly Rudy. I'm the goalie for the Kings. And she she had a coffee cup in her hand as well. And she goes like this, like cheers. And I thought, oh, cheers, hi. And she goes, no, I'm out of coffee. Pour some. Oh, now we're we're chatting. We're sharing coffee. And she's talking about her son Wyatt. And it was just some of those experiences. You can't yeah, no, I don't. True. And play with Wayne too. Like, yeah, I know Kelly feels the same way. He just the way he carried himself all the time. Yeah. And uh, so Wayne, as most people know, would be famous for taking these long shifts. Wayne Gretzky, you're talking. Yes, Wayne Gretzky. I apologize. So he takes these three or four minute shifts. Now with Wayne, he always knew it wasn't being selfish. He really thought yeah. he had something going on to help the team. Yeah. So we were playing one of our bad games, and we come in the locker room. I think it's after the first period. And everybody, and we had such a veteran team. The coaches really didn't have to say too much. We we're all right. we we're aware of how bad we're playing and what we need to do. Right. And Jay Miller, like if you ever knew Jay Miller, a great guy. But I, you probably remember this. Uh, he walks in the room and he goes, well, if we didn't uh, take these three or four minutes shifts, we might be a lot better off. Oh. He's obviously saying that to Wayne. Oh. Really, did Wayne ever get mad? Wayne comes over with a stick and gloves, throws it in front of Jay Stahl. If you think you could do any better, Jay, then you go ahead and use it. <laughs> oh. The room, oh. Just, the room just goes silent. Now, we got, again, we've got this veteran team, so most of the guys are kind of giggling, like, you know, this is pretty good stuff. And uh, Wayne didn't let it last. So I was like 30 seconds. He went and picked the stuff up. He said, ah, come on, let's go. Let's get back out. You know what I love about that story? Um, because I know most people see Wayne's persona and he's very kind and gracious. And he is. He's all that. We love him for all that. But behind the scenes, he's got an edge. And that's oh, what I love. Yeah, yeah. Like, I remember when he was coaching in Arizona and he lost it a few times. I'm thinking to myself, see, now everybody gets to see the Wayne that we knew about. Yeah, totally. The Wayne that... Behind the scenes, he was fiery as can be, and we all love that. About oh, totally. Were you, were you at the game when Robbie Fatorik benched him in Detroit? I was not. Oh, you heard all about it. That was uh, earlier in this. That was the same year I got traded. That oh. was earlier that season. Though. Oh, 
classic. That was, and again, with the veteran team, we're all sitting in the locker room in the second, third period, and the rumor's going around that he's going to get benched. And we're like, no, we can't do that. Right. Oh, we're, we're done. But again, like even Larry Robinson, he's kind of giggling a little bit. Like, this is going to be great. This is going to be great. <laughs> and finally, when uh, it just, we were so far ahead, it was like seven to one or eight to one or something. And we're so far ahead. So we have more like on the bench, we're all like, this is, this is classic. This is legendary. And finally, Krusevinski leads back and uh, Cruiser says to Robbie, Robbie, you've got to put him on. Right. And then, then he stopped. Once you put him on, then it was even worse because, you know, now he's going back to his own world. So it was classic yeah. stuff. You know? Oh, there's many things like that. I remember uh, Wayne, uh, Barry Melrose was our coach. And, uh, I can't remember what kind of stretch we were in. Wayne admittedly at that time said he wasn't playing very well and he was struggling a little bit with confidence, which yeah, which thought the world. How yeah. how in the world can Wayne Gretzky be seriously? Yeah, very true. Yeah, you know, struggling a little with confidence. Anyways, so there's I think three of us, Pat Codiker, Charlie Huddy, and I went into Barry Miller's his office and said, Buried, we know how we can help Wayne. You got to start him next next game. You start him every period up against the best players on the other team, and you can't put him on the ice the second or third shift because Wayne needs to be challenged right away. And in no time, Wayne was playing like lights out. Right? He just yeah. he needed that little challenge again, sure. and uh, he knew it. And uh, you know that's what you have to do with those great players. You've got to challenge them on occasion because they expect in Wayne's case, they expect greatness from themselves. Yeah, no question. How many years were you in L.A. then? Eight. Eight years. Wow. wow. So they were the year they went to the finals as well? Yep. Yeah, they are cool. And that was a, that was an interesting year, Tom and Tom, because uh, I, I my confidence got crushed that year. And <laughs> so that's where the relationship between Barry Melrose and I really grew because it was Barry's first year. And uh, I got in a ditch uh, from early December to late January and Barry introduced me to Tony Robbins. And so I was able to work with Tony Robbins one-on-one a number of times. And he got me out of that uh, bad place. And we ended up going to the finals that year, which was incredible that, you know, what, what you do mentally and how you beat yourself up and, and what you can accomplish. Do you feel like you learned a lot from Tony Robbins when you were with him? Oh, yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Well, he put he, We had these exercises that he had put me through that uh, – uh, mentally it was something that I really had to go through and, and change. And, uh, yeah, I was, I still use some of those exercises and then got traded to the sharks or were you a free agent sign? No, I was a free agent. I, I didn't want to leave LA, but they were done with me. You know how that goes. Tom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's not in your hands. And yeah. so I was able to go to uh, San Jose and finish off my career. I, I really enjoyed that experience. I wasn't quite the goalie that uh, I was previously, but I still enjoyed it. And, and and one of the great things that came from that experience was, and we were actually just in San Jose about 10 days ago, Patrick Marlowe was a rookie that year. Yeah. So we invited Patrick to live with our family. Oh, so my last year in the league and Patrick's first year. And so we've had this special friendship ever since, and it was cool to be at his jersey retirement. Awesome. I went and I recruited him when I was in the agent business, went to his farm. Yeah, really quiet kid. You couldn't have a conversation. Did you sign him, though? Yeah. You signed him? Oh, no, I know we did, because he had Don Basley. Don Basley was his, uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, I think he's his relative or something like that, too. Uh, We lost Don Basley, too. Uh, So you're done after one season in San Jose? Two. I played two years there. Good. Did you know it was over? Were you done yourself mentally, physically? Yeah, so... I'm not sure how it came to an end for you, Tom, and what your mindset was and what you were thinking. 
But uh, for me, I was 37 years old. I knew my skills were declining. But the other thing that I had, which I was really fortunate to have, I had started doing some broadcasting. Okay. And so my last two years in LA, uh, when we didn't make the class, uh, I went to Toronto and I started working on a part-time basis in the playoffs on Hockey Night in Canada. Oh, that's right, yeah. So, yeah, and so I had that bug. Um, and so my last two years in San Jose, my first year there, we didn't make the playoffs. My last year we did, but we lost out in the first round. So I had four years of going to Toronto part-time basis, and I, I kind of had an idea that I'd be offered a job once I retired to go on Hockey Night in Canada. And so so I accepted that. And so I didn't have like any regrets or I, I didn't have time to think back about yeah. man, should I And I did have a couple offers to keep playing. And I thought, no, I've been given a great opportunity sure. to be on Hockey Night in Canada. And so I accepted and I've been there ever since. So I, I made the right decision. No one has you been. Well, I'd hurt my back and uh, looking back at it, looking back at it now, I should have known that my career is coming in. Tom Webster had come in as coach and we didn't hit it off. And I don't blame him at all. I was not the same player. Uh, he had coached in New York when I was there as well. And I was not nearly the same player. We joked around about it before the way I was playing. But right. naively, I didn't I really, I really, didn't know that it was going to end. So we went to training right. camp. Yeah. Uh, I, I passed the physical, yeah. uh, but then I, I couldn't do anything. In fact, uh, they had a scout. One of the Plager brothers was in from St. Louis scouting, maybe yeah. trade for me. And I remember uh, he, he's looking at me because I can't do anything out there hardly. He's looking at me, he's watching it, and I'm going, listen, don't trade for me. I can't, I can't play it. Yeah. So uh, Tommy Webster, but again, I don't blame him, but he, was, uh, he wanted me out of there. So we went, finished training camp, and then uh, Rogie called me up to his office. And again, I just like naively thinking, like, I, I guess I knew it was going to end, but then Tommy came in the room, and they said, okay, you're, you're done. Your career's over with. Wow. Um, there was, we had walking out of uh, Great Western Forum, walking up that ramp out of the uh, downstairs yeah. there. The weirdest feeling, right? Like your game is over with. You're not going to be on a team anymore. First time in your whole life you haven't been on a team. So, yeah. But again, look. Offers or did you have? No, I, I, Kelly, I just, my back had gotten so bad that, um, and again, I wasn't exercising. Like my back is fine now because I exercise differently. Right. Uh, but again, that's just so stubborn. Remember Rick Wilson, the assistant coach? Oh, of course. Yeah. Great guy. Yeah. And he was so nice to me. And he knew what I was going through. He turned his back. And he used to skate around with me before practice. Yeah. I can say to me, Tom, you've got to change. I know what you're going through. But in my mind, I'm saying right. I never changed. And that's how I made it to the National Hockey League by being that stubborn right. and never changed. Right. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, looking back, like I said, uh, the way I work out now, I don't have any back problems at all because I've just learned to train my core better and all that stuff. So He had an offer. He had, he had an offer from TWA to fly home. <laughs> you sparked something in me, Tom, a, a memory when you said, look, ask your physical. So, when I went to San Jose, I had blown up my ankle the previous year at training camp with the Kings, and I missed about two months or three months. And so when I go to San Jose, I've got to pass the physical, and I'm I'm scared. I'm thinking there's not a chance I'm going to pass this physical. My ankle's too badly damaged. And so I remember meeting the orth orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Ting, and uh, he puts me through a physical and he goes, I've got good news and bad news, Kelly. What do you want to hear? And I think, oh, my gosh, I know what he's going to tell me. I said, ah, just give me the bad news. And I'm, I'm certain he's going to say I'm not passing you. And so my, I'm, my contract, I wouldn't get a contract, right? And so he goes, well, the bad news is, oh, no, he goes, I'm going to give you the good news first. He goes, I'm going to pass you. So your ankle's okay. The bad news is 
In fact, your so-called good ankle is a lot worse than your bad ankle, and you're going to have lifelong ankle problems, and you'll probably need ankle re replacement surgery when that gets to be, you know, like hip surgery or, wow. knee, or knee replacement. Wow. And I'm like, okay, and he, he turned out to be right. I have two terrible ankles, and I'm waiting at some point when that surgery or that replacement surgery gets to where I can continue to golf and that, that I'll have to do that. Wow. wow. So it's still a lot of pain now? Oh, yeah. And it comes and goes. Like sometimes, especially my left ankle right now, uh, it'll stop me dead in my tracks. It might last two minutes where I honestly, I can't walk. I can't move. It's outrageously painful. Some days, unfortunately, it might last five days or oh. seven days or something. Oh. So but that's just how all of us have it, right? Yeah. Nah, no, all of us. I know Marty no. McSarley's had both hips replaced. Oh. I heard he's struggling with a bad knee right now. I nice. just saw Marty Turco two days ago in Dallas, and he's a lot younger than you and I, Tom, and he just had his hip redone or replaced, I mean, like a week ago. So it's oh. all right. Yeah, I know. It's some of the mental problems, too, for guys. We've done quite of these shows now, probably like 35 shows. And of the 35 shows, four guys on the shows have uh, they tried to commit suicide. Yeah, see, you know, that's tough. I, I tell you, Tom, I'm going through my own mental challenges right now. And it has been for uh, since the summer 2019. Uh, and, you know, some days are better and I have good stretches also, but I, I, I'm struggling mighty, mightily some days. Do you want to talk about that at all? Or is that something? Yeah. How long has that been going on? So is this something that's... Well, you know what I just told you about? I was in a ditch in uh, right. L.A. for those two months. I was related to mental health issues. I didn't know it at the time. Oh, wow. But it was... My thoughts uh, started out rationally always. They're okay. Uh, I remember the summer of 92 is, well, how much longer can you do this, Kelly? You're, I think I was entering my 10th year. Uh, I knew the average is like three, three and a half. I had a young family. I'm wondering how much longer I can do this and, uh, you know, pay the bills and all that. And then those thoughts went from rational to irrational. Like, you can't keep this up. You're you're not good enough. And oh, really? So that's where Tony Robbins really helped me. And then in the summer of 2019, those same thoughts came back where I think I was entering my 20th year on Hockey Night in Canada, which is a long, long time. Yeah. And my thoughts went from, well, how, lo how much longer can you do this, Kelly? And... You know, uh, new people are coming in. You better be perfect every broadcast, which is impossible, right? That's a lot of television. You're not going to be. So I struggled with that for a while. Then I finally went to see somebody, and uh, I went weekly for months and months uh, to see somebody to get the help, and and they that helped tremendously. So if you're out there and you're listening to this uh, and you're feeling the same thing, go get the help. Yeah. It's too lonely and too painful to do it uh, by yourself. I, I journal now, Tom. Oh, good. Uh, I keep a little laminated index card in my wallet with these bullet points that remind me how to get through a bad stretch. So it's, yeah. I'm I'm out there on social media and I share all the time. Yeah, I, I've seen the stuff here. You should be very proud of yourself for that. That's yeah. really important that people like yourself yeah. uh, talk openly about that so everybody else can see this. There's nothing wrong with you as a whole no. just because you've got something else wrong here. I've learned that myself. I talk about it a lot and I finally realized I better look in the mirror. I'm 63 right. years old. Divorced twice, in and out of relationships, and Tom and I joke around about disaster. it. I, I'm a disaster when it comes to relationships, and I finally figured out why, you know, I've learned that a lot of the reasons we act the way we act now is because we have trauma when we were younger. Yeah. So I, you know, learned back about, I was abandoned a couple of times by my parents. I, I don't mean like they left me on the side of the road, yeah. but during crucial times in my life, they weren't yeah. there for me. So 
I think I think what's important for for fans listening too is that you go, again, you guys are regular dudes with problems, with issues, totally. with struggles, just like everybody else. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. And that's and yeah. that's kind of like the cool thing, you know. I'll go on the road and and people will, you know, they may say something. I like you in Hockey Night in Canada or whatever, but the the ones that are really impactful, really cool, they they might pull me aside and say, "Hey, thanks for sharing." Yeah, I'm going through something, or my wife, or my daughter, or my son, and we have these really meaningful conversations uh, sure. that that might, you know, sometimes take half an hour or whatever. Yeah. It's just really cool that we can all share now. Yeah, isn't it kind of like you know, it's funny is the right word or not? But yeah. think to yourself when you're 25 or 30 years old, would you thought that you would be having those conversations with another human being? I'd never share it. Yeah, not a chance, right? Totally. And then you know, like even to your point, Tom, I'd say. Maybe seven years ago, we wouldn't have done. Yeah, absolutely, that's what's kind of exciting that we're we're doing it. And I mean, listen to us, three grown men talking about this and how you doing and you okay and and uh, yeah, I need help. I go get help. I'm not ashamed yep. of it, and you know it helps me when I'm kind of struggling. And you know that's just those are real conversations. Yeah. Very true. Very true. Yep. So you won how many cups? I didn't win any. Missed I went to miss them all when the when the Islanders. Won their fourth consecutive cup. Then I joined them full time. I was one of those black aces for two of the cups. Okay. And so, as you know, as a third goalie, you don't get any. Oh, that's right. You didn't get a ring, Kelly? No, I did not. Oh, no. So, but I did lose twice in the finals. Um, and uh, Tom, you were with the Rangers in eight seventy nine. I don't. I was. I didn't commit till eighty eighty one. That was my first year. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Yep. So I went to the semifinals that first year. Lost to the Islanders. They were winning their second cup, and then uh, my it's like sixth year we lost to Montreal when we them when they they were we played them in the semifinals. That's right. That's so it's hard. I mean, yeah. that's what I would say when I go public speaking and people ask me about that. I'm not ashamed to say no, I never won a cup. Yeah. I mean, it's that's why it's so special. If everybody won a cup, yeah. then what would be the you yeah. know why would it be so special to raise the cup yeah. at the end of uh, the series? Right. Uh, I think that's that's the cool thing to accept it and you know that's part of the journey you know what i like about you kelly too is that uh, a lot of guys get stuck in this rut where they're still living like their former like their nhl hockey players yeah. you've, mo you've moved on yes you're still in the hockey world but you have moved on from the game the game doesn't define who kelly rudy is right no, not at yeah. all. i i let that go and i'm perfectly content and happy and and uh you know i'm very proud of my point yes I, yeah. I'm, I'm sure you are too i yeah. can see it tom i can see it in your your eyes and you should be because it's it's hard i mean i always tell somebody uh that if anybody wants to listen if you ever play junior you're a phenomenal hockey player if you've ever played one game in the minors you are so freaking good yeah to have the experience that you and i had in the national hockey you know, so rare and so unique it's crazy so well, that, i'll yeah. a stack with you guys yes, let's go cool. well i heard this uh, the last work stoppage there's something like uh, forty-nine percent of all players that ever play in the National Hockey League play fifty or fewer games. Right. That's stunning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a lot of players that play fifty or fewer games. I know. Yeah, it's funny. Isn't it true? You think back, like I played over like I don't know, close to eight hundred games, or whatever it was. I'm like, yeah. oh, if somebody told me when I was eight years old that I was going to play that many games in the NHL, right. oh, geez, yeah. I got well, yeah. When you look at it from thirty thousand feet, it's it, you won yeah. the lottery. Yeah. You guys won the life yeah. lottery by making it. Right? Yeah. Well, Kelly, listen, you've had, I, I really mean this very seriously. Uh, you're one of the best teammates I ever had. Like, as far as being a professional, a fun guy, coming to work hard, 
uh, very, very happy that you've had the career that you've had after the game. You deserve it. You're a great person. So, and thank you very much for coming on the show. Yes. Wait, wait, I got to ask. I got to ask before you, before yes. you guys love each other. Kelly, do you ever put the, the headband on for old times? <laughs> I, I wear a different style headband when I go hiking or biking or something, but it's not the, it's not the old so-called Kelly Rudy headband that the blue chiffon as Don Cherry called it. No, the blue chiffon. It was iconic. Yeah. Iconic. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, brother. Great to, great, great to see you again, brother. Yeah, same. Thanks, Kelly. Looking forward to this. I know it took a little bit longer to get to connected, but thanks for this and uh, all the best to you guys. All right, brother. Thank thanks, you, Kelly. Good to see you. See you guys. Hey, Tom. So it's always it's always a blast when we have one of your former teammates on because you could see how you guys really, you know genuinely are fond of each other that yeah. was awesome he said so kelly rudy is such a fantastic guy too and i said over on the show and i, I told that story about him saying tom like the end he says can you just please get out of the way yep. and, yep. oh i'll never forget when he said that to me and he was being so sweet and nice about it but was that, that was one of the lowest points in my career because I, I was terrible at that point it was at the end of my career no i can relate when we do this podcast i'm like tom would you please just not <laughs> Stop, repeat don't yourself say. don't say the same story over and over oh god great to see you. And, I'm, and you know what like he's one of those guys that's really happy that he's done well after his career with, with the TV work he does with Hockey Night in Canada. So he's a good man. Yeah, and I will say, you know, I've, I've booked a lot of guests on our show, and he's been one of the just the the kindest and the most open to talk yeah. to. And yeah. I think that came through in in totally. the interview too. Yeah, was, that, that was a great show. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, that was excellent. And him talking about his mental health issues too. That guy, I think it's you know he knows the importance that is to other people for him to be able to talk about. Yeah, and, so. and like we said, you guys are regular dudes. I mean, you did yeah. this incredible thing by making the NHL, totally. but you're dudes, and yeah. you have issues, and you have problems, and you're you know, well, I don't have issues. No, not at all. <laughs> Great show, everybody. All right, grasshoppers. Thank you for listening. We had a fantastic show. We'll see you next time.